From Feature Story News in London, I'm Benji Hire. Donald Trump has defended the role of NATO following comments by French President Emmanuel Macron, who called the military alliance brain dead. Speaking on a three-day visit to the UK, President Trump said that NATO serves a great purpose. NATO serves a great purpose. Uh, it got to be unfair for the United States because the United States was paying a disproportionate amount. And I heard that uh, President Macron said NATO is brain dead. I think that's very insulting to a lot of different forces, including a man that does a very good job in running NATO. The US president is in the UK for a NATO summit being held near London on Wednesday. He's attending a reception hosted by the Queen at Buckingham Palace where protests are expected. His visit coincides with the closing days of the UK's general election campaign, in which Mr Trump has promised to stay out of. But he has admitted that he's a fan of Brexit and thinks Prime Minister Boris Johnson is a very capable man. Meanwhile, the French finance minister has hit back over tariffs threatened by the US, claiming that France will impose reciprocal duties on American products. US trade authorities had announced they could impose 100% tariffs on products including wine and cheese in retaliation against France's new tax on digital services. Elena Cassas reports from Paris. Champagne, cheese, handbags and luxury fashion are all in the firing line for a levy of up to 100%, hitting the shares of luxury goods firms like LVMH when European markets opened on Tuesday. French Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire says his government is not backing down on the digital duty that has angered the Americans, saying companies like Google, Apple, Facebook and Amazon must be forced to pay more tax in Europe. The tax imposes a 3% tariff on firms with global revenues of more than $830 billion. France insists it will apply to all companies regardless of nationality. The US says it's an attack on American companies. Elena Casas, Paris. And you may end up with a hefty fine if you're found holding a mobile or cell phone in your hand whilst driving through a school zone in Australia. That's all due to what's believed to be the world's first cell phone detection cameras. Arthur Stevens has the details. Over the years, authorities have done as much as humanly possible to stop drivers from holding their mobile telephones in their hands and taking calls or texting while driving. Invariably, the fine will be presented to the driver because an eagle-eyed police officer spotted the infringement and pulled the driver over. In New South Wales, that's all changing with the activation of artificial intelligence cameras placed strategically across the state, which can see down into vehicles regardless of the weather and snap drivers as they hold their phones. The system's been trialled this year and the cameras have successfully caught 100,000 drivers doing the wrong thing with their phones. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American.
Hey, everybody. Welcome to the program. Okay, so uh, unbelievably, still not having Facebook going on. No, None yesterday, none again today. If you're watching the live stream or you're listening and you wanted to watch the show, you'd have to head over to YouTube because that is where the stream is active. Day three of Stacy on the Right Show Christmas headbands. I uh, hope you're enjoying these. Let me know if you find interesting headbands that you're like, wow, that looks like fun. Send me a message. You can uh, actually DM me on Facebook or um, you can tweet me about it because I'd love to see what kind of headbands you're working with. Send me pictures of you in your headbands. That would be super fun. All right. So today on the show, we're going to be discussing a few things. Uh, I've, I've, I've really been surprised at how quickly the political everything just changes from moment to moment. And so uh, here's one that is new for today. Kamala Harris is dropping out of the race. Uh, 300 ads were taken down by Google without any notification to the person paying for the ads. The ads were simply taken down and they claimed it's a violation of policy, but they haven't told anyone what that policy was. And then last but not least, abortions in the United States hit an all-time low. And this is great news. This is on our good news kind of, it's not Friday, but let's do it anyway. Good news Tuesday. And I'm so excited to share that with you. So let's start off with a little bit of chat about the president at NATO. He tore it up, y'all. He tore it up. He went to NATO. He was there doing the thing that only he can do. He spent 52 minutes answering questions from the press there. He was up on the podium for so long taking questions that some news organizations took to Twitter and everywhere else to complain that he was doing too much answering of questions. Can you believe that? They've been complaining about access, about the fact that there aren't press briefings, that Stephanie Grisham doesn't do press briefings, that when Sarah Huckabee Sanders was still in the office in the role of press secretary, she didn't do uh, press briefings anymore, mainly because of Jim Acosta. If anybody's angry about this, they can thank CNN and Jim Acosta. So it's interesting to see that there's this amazing kind of um, like they don't know what they want. Media people actually don't know what they want, except that they hate Donald Trump. If he's not answering questions, they hate it. If he is answering questions, they hate that, too. What this shows to me is that the president he really believes in rewarding proper behavior. So if you are respectful and execute your duties, you can ask hard questions. You can press him. You can ask a follow-up. But if you're going to act like a toddler, a little tyrant in, in uh, you know, short pants, and you're not going to give the president a chance to answer, you're going to make the questions personal, you're going to act like it's a personal vendetta for you, then you're not going to have any access. This, this lesson is so simple and easy to handle, don't you think? I mean, it's, it's actually a beautiful thing. You know what to expect with him. Just act like you know that you're a professional. Act as if you know what a professional does and then move on from there. So uh, the, the story that I saw about him, just he just was up at the podium and they were losing their ever-loving minds. Um, I'll give you a couple more details from here uh, th that, you know, he just gets all of the attention. He sucks all of the air out of the room wherever he is. It's Nick Robertson from CNN, Christine Romans, and Dave Briggs TV. They were on Twitter complaining that President Trump answered questions from the press for 52 minutes. Now, this was at NATO. Remember, he's at the NATO meeting uh, this week while they're holding their fake impeachment, whatever you want to call those. And while he's doing this over while they're doing their fake impeachment stuff, the president is taking 
the NATO summit by the horns. He's literally running that thing. Now, President Trump already slammed French President Macron's nasty statement on the group being brain dead. The actual story was that President Macron insulted NATO leaders in October and then Merkel and Erdogan of Turkey, so Angela Merkel of Germany and uh, Erdogan of Turkey, they basically insulted the French president back. So it's a, it's a, it's a spat. They're having a little bit of a slap fight. Um, it's not that fun to watch, though, because these are not interesting. Well, they're interesting in that they're world leaders, but they're not interesting people because I, I don't agree with anything they have ideologically. So it's not even fun to watch them smack each other around. Uh, so... When President Trump was asked about the slap fight, he gave a straight answer. And this is per Business Insider, who they had a reporter there reporting back for them. Quote, President Trump, when you make a statement like that, a very, very nasty statement, you have a really high unemployment rate in France. France is not doing well economically at all. It's a very tough statement to make when you have such difficulty in France. You look at what's happening with the yellow vest. They've had a very rough year. You just can't go around making statements like that about NATO. It's very disrespectful. Now, let's just think for a second. Um, if we want to have some of that deep thoughts music where, you know, it's like uh, a little bit of classical bedtime music that you would play for a little kid and maybe the, the child is, you know, whatever the, whatever the kid has going on. Um, and there would be maybe someone wearing a sweater vest like Mitt Romney and he would get asked this question and maybe Mitt Romney would say, well, the thing is, we respect everyone's right to have an opinion. And Macron is our friend. And so is like everyone is our friend. And so we just don't have anything to say about this um, other than we hope that everyone would be friendly with each other. Now, this is something that could happen if you had maybe a, a, a you know, a John McCain when he was running, if he'd won or maybe, you know, as, as I said, Mitt Romney, some, some someone who literally can't actually speak their mind even when they have someone dragging it out of them. But that's not who we elected. The people of America elected Donald Trump and he is the president. He's not going to be diplomatic about it. Now, that was the first press conference. So now you have Fox News reporting at the second press conference of the day that President Trump tangled with French President Emmanuel Macron in a tense exchange in front of reporters where President Trump asked Macron if he'd like to take back some nice ISIS fighters and then dinged him for his non-answer. Are you guys are you guys catching this? President Trump to this guy's face said you wouldn't take back your own people. These are your citizens. This guy is is, is pot talking about. So President Trump's talking about the citizens from France and other places. And why are these people citizens? Because they came to France under whatever circumstances, as refugees, as illegal immigrants, whatever. They show up there. They are given citizenship. And then they return to Syria to fight for ISIS, not to fight for the French or the English, to return for ISIS. So what does President Trump do? Well, one of the reasons why the president was so adamant about withdrawing from Syria is because France and other NATO allies refused to accept the return of their citizens who joined ISIS. So the, and, and believe me, you can take back a citizen who goes to fight as an enemy combatant for an enemy of yours, try them for treason and strip them of citizenship and send them back to their country of origin. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
I'm saying that these countries had options, but instead of taking their options and having the the stones or the spine, the steel in their spine to actually do something with the citizens who have wronged their receiving country, these are immigrants. They've come to France and Germany and wherever else, Spain, and and they get there. And instead of saying, well, thank God for plumbing and indoor heating and cooling and and carpets and stuff. Thank God for civilization. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make a life for myself here. I'm going to learn how to speak French or English or, or German. I'm going to become a contributing member of society. And no one is ever going to be able to accuse me of not being grateful for being here. Instead, these people get there, decide they really actually appreciate ISIS and they want to spread a caliphate around the place and go back to Syria and fight for them. So I, I don't blame the French for not wanting them back. But it's not fair to say to America, well, you take them just because we have Guantanamo Bay, which is chock full of people we don't know what to do with. They're not American citizens, these people, because if they were, they'd be getting due process in our courts. So President Trump, when faced with the option of just standing there and clutching his sweater vest, says, you know, first of all, President Trump's not a sweater vest wearer. That's number one. And number two, he decides what he's going to do is he's going to confront the guy on it. And of course, the media can't understand that. They don't want to side with the guy who's actually telling the truth. So he's tangling with him at this press conference. And he says, President Trump turns to Macron and says, I have not spoken to the president about that. Would you like some nice ISIS fighters? I can give them to you. You can take everyone you want. After Macron's lengthy response, President Trump says, this is why he's a great politician, because that's one of the greatest non-answers I've ever heard. You got to love that. That's just plain old honesty. So the president wasn't boring. Uh, He wasn't actually disrespectful. He showed some discretion, but he still was straight from the hip. What you see is what you get. You ask me about it. You ask this guy about it. He doesn't answer you. I'm going to call him out on not answering. He should answer you. He should give you a straight answer, right? So here's um, here's the next part of the thing. He, the president was asked about the attack in London this weekend where dude was running around killing people. And he says, no, I don't have the comment on the London Bridge attack other than to say I was very proud of those people who grabbed him and did such a good job between the fire extinguisher and whatever else it was. It was an amazing job they did. And also the president made clear that he's not willing to back up on his leave on his promise that he made to. Every single member of NATO needs to devote at least 2% of their GDP to their own defense uh, or the America should leave. Here's the quote from that. President Trump said, maybe I'll deal with them from a trade standpoint. Maybe I'll deal with them a different way. We don't want to have people be delinquent. Now, remember, President Trump was collecting rents from people at the age of 16. So if there's one thing the guy knows how to do, it's, it's hit some collections and, and make people pay up what they owe. Now, CNN said that President Trump claimed that NATO countries are contributing more financially because of him. And that's true. It's not a claim. It's true. They're contributing more. They're just not contributing enough for President Trump to have met the threshold, which uh, coincidentally, President Trump did not make. President Trump did not create the threshold of 2% of GDP for each contributing member of NATO. If you want to be protected, you have to contribute. They're not contributing, so why should they be protected? That's that's the, the thought process here. And President Trump wasn't around when they set those thresholds. So, um, I mean, there were some other things that were included in the little news bits, but the most important thing to understand here 
is that nothing has changed. President Trump is still presenting the same face at NATO that he presented when he first became president. He's not changed his tack. He's not changing direction. He still wants the same things. And he's right about this. And he should be getting support from the media because last I checked, all of the members of the American media live in America. They're American citizens. And they should be wanting for less American taxpayers should have a less burden for defending other nations around the world. We should not be on the tab for all of it. So I'm so annoying, so annoying to, to hear them the way they characterize what was said. So speaking of President Trump, I want to pivot over here to this story. It's on 60 Minutes Overtime. And this story is about 300 plus Trump ads being taken down by Google and YouTube. Now, I, here's here's something I, I really want people to kind of get get a grip on here. Um, crunch time doing this. Yeah, I was just checking on on the the YouTube stream. I need to make sure that it's going because that's how I'm going to get the MP3 for the podcast today. Um, so, 300 Trump ads taken down by Google and YouTube. 60 Minutes did an investigation and found that over 300 video ads for President Trump were taken down, mostly over the summer, for violating company policy. Now. This is just straight up garbage. It's another reason why the president should instruct Congress to take over regulating, uh, you know, the, the, the Internet giants. They should be regulated. And you guys know I'm not a huge regulation person. I don't believe that every single thing needs to be regulated. But these companies aren't playing fairly with the political spectrum because they don't want to see a Republican reelected. And that is not their decision. That is your decision, my decision. It is the decision of voters, not theirs. They shouldn't be allowed to decide what political ads you get to see. So uh, there are not, there, there are actually, you know, different rules, political ads on TV, yada, yada, yada. It, everything's really unclear if you ask me. We know what the rules are for television political ads, but what are the rules for ads on social media? Well, they get to be made up by Google. Is that fair? Has that, have we had any oversight over that? You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where you have the hawk guarding the hen house. Do we want that? Uh, With Google being the hawk, obviously. So we have um, these specific ads have come under scrutiny because social media actually has a very unique ability. They can spread ads and information broadly and rapidly. It, the information doesn't have to be true. It could be false. It could be skewed one way or the other. And they have a, an ability to do this at an alarming rate. Online ads have a much more viral capability than something you see on TV while you're watching ESPN. Now, they also have the capability of using machine learning algorithms to identify target audiences at enormous speed and scale. Again, they can say... We want 30 to 40-year-old suburban women, married suburban women, college-educated, household income of 150000 or more, you know, with at least one child under 18. They can even get more specific than that. A machine learning algorithm is you just program what you want in and it does the work for you. And all of us have digital footprints that are probably bigger than the square footage in our homes because every single keystroke, everything is logged and 
tabulated and attributed to your IP address, which is directly connected to all of your information online. They even know what weight you are. They know what size shoe you wear. They know the last items you bought in your household, whether it was contact lens solution or baking soda, whatever. The only stuff they don't know is the stuff you're doing inside your house away from a device that can hear you. And if you have an Alexa in every room, then you there is nothing they, they don't know about you. They know it all, baby. They're listening to it. They're recording it and foreigners are listening to it. And so are people here in this country. The most frightening part of it is that we're so open to the listening. I can't tell you how many of my Facebook friends have these online listening devices, the Alexa, all that stuff. Every time I think it might not, like, you know, it just could be me. I could just be being crazy. Um, I was talking to, who was I talking to? My husband, I think. No. I was talking to my daughter about um, using my sewing machine, which we've lived in this house for a few years now. And I've done almost everything under the sun to avoid having to crack it out and kind of readjust it because I think the last time I used it, I adjusted it and I couldn't figure out how to get it fixed. And so I said, you know, it feels like if I want to get my sewing machine out to, to our daughter, I said, it feels like if I want to get my sewing machine out, I need to take a class. I said this, I, I'm pretty sure I was holding my phone because within an hour, I was getting ads on Instagram about sewing classes. So every time I think, no, it's not true. They're not listening to every word that I say. They are. And so, because we were actually thinking about getting one of those ring uh, devices, the ones that do the camera on the outside. You can also have it on the inside so you can see what's going on in your house when you're not there. But I also know that they are used, the information from your ring, so the recordings from your ring device are stored elsewhere. They're stored somewhere at the company. And there's these stories that have been coming out about uh, people. So the police come by, there's been a crime and the family across the street has the ring listening device. And instead of the police going to the people and saying, can we access the data from your ring? Because a crime happened across the street and we think your camera caught it. What they do is they go straight to ring. They skip the family and they ask ring for the information. And because it's the police ring gives them the data. So that's one thing. If it's the camera angle, the video from the camera angle that faces outside your house. So it's catching everything in your driveway, up to your front door, even maybe across the street to your neighbor's house. That's one thing, isn't it? It's another thing if you also have the ring camera device on the inside of your house and it's, you know, in your living room where you may be walking around in your, you know, for men, their boxers or whatever, or, or you know, I don't know how you roll at your house. I'm the, No accusations being made. You do you. Um, whatever you're doing in your house whether you're walking around holding your dog and dancing to music or rocking out while you clean, whatever you're doing, the ring is recording it and those files are stored elsewhere. So every bit of what you're doing, especially the more technologically plugged in you are, especially on the inside of your house, along with your digital footprint, along with your spending footprint, which they have connected, along with your financial information and your work information and you're, you know, if you're paying for your kids to go to school, or even if they're in public school, your voting habits, everything, it's all accessible now. So when Google decides that they're going to shut down political ads, that coincidentally, that information that I just listed off, most political campaigns take painstaking care to hire consultants to gather that information so that they can target voters. So when they put together these ad packages, it's a spending buy 
It's an ad buy that is sophisticated and it has taken a long time and thousands of man hours and woman hours uh, and, and, you know, computer hours <laughs> of, of, of compiling information so that they know which voters they want their 300 ads to target. And so if you think about it just for one second here, you spend all that money, Trump 2020, remember they're raising money, they're going and getting, you know, Republican candidates all over the country are raising money from small donors like you and me, taking that money and spending it on these consultants who then get them the right target and then they take that money to the online social media giant, whether it's Google ads, they go to AdSense, they go wherever they're going to put these ads. They put the ads out there and then they're taken down. Do you understand what kind of money that has been wasted when you actually take the time to create an ad and target the audience and spend all that money on consultants and the creation of the ad and the, the, the people who are in the ad and the videos and all that, you get it all done and you send it over to Google and they just take it down. They don't notify you. They don't tell you what policy you violated. If that is not a clear case for regulating the internet, then there isn't one. Because these people are not only wasting the money and resources of campaigns that are paying for these ads, but they're depriving potential voters of the information that is contained within the ads. Have you ever noticed that Democrats never cared a bit when political ads on TV were riddled with lies about Republicans, but now they claim that every ad that President Trump puts out is riddled with lies about their candidates? They're not lies. These ads are full of information that is true about the Democrats. And the reason they call them lies is because these truths are inconvenient. They're expositional. They expose how horrifying these Democratic candidates are on everything from Medicare for all, which here's a hint. Americans don't want that. Americans don't want rationing. Americans don't want anything that looks like European healthcare because if we did want it, we'd travel over there and get a little bit of it. And then we'd come over here and we'd demand it for ourselves. Americans don't want that. There's a whole lot of stuff that Europeans are doing that we don't want. And whatever they are doing that we do want, we just jump on, you know, jet planes uh, and we travel over there and we get a little bit of it. We experience it and then we come on back. That's how Americans roll. So if Democrats had even two brain synapses firing at, with any accuracy, they would admit that they have zero to offer Americans right now because in addition to the Trump derangement syndrome, they're actually spending the majority of their time thinking up ideas that are diametrically opposed to whatever Republicans are putting out just so they can be oppositional just for the sake of being oppositional. I mean, anyway, so you've got these ads that were taken down. Um, Twitter announced, obviously, that they would ban political advertising on their platform, period. And Google and its subsidiary, YouTube, do not ban the ads but they've come out with adjustments and clarifications to its policy, including limiting micro-targeting of users. So micro-targeting was perfectly fine when Hillary did it, even though she didn't really do it because she ran a losing campaign. But when Republicans want to do it, well, we don't want any micro-targeting. You see how that is? It's a double standard. So uh, in an interview on 60 Minutes, YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki said that the controversy – the controversial Trump-Biden ad does not violate their policy. That was YouTube. So 60 Minutes correspondent Leslie Stahl asked her, have you taken down any of President Trump's ads at all? And she responded, there are ads of President Trump that were not approved to run on Google or YouTube. When pressed for an example, she said, well, they're available in our transparency report. 
So in response to concerns raised after the 2016 election cycle, Google and YouTube, like Facebook, keep a searchable, searchable archive of political ads that have run on the site. And 60 Minutes went on to review the archive to learn more about President Trump's problematic political ads. And they found that over 300 video ads were taken down by Google and YouTube, mostly over the summer, for violating company policy. The archive, of course, does not say what policy was violated. Was it a copyright violation? A lie? Extreme inaccuracy? Faulty grammar? Bad punctuation? No description. They're not available to be screened. So you can't actually look at the ad and say for yourself, like let's say they took it down. They don't say what reason they took it down for. So you click on it and you watch the ad yourself and you say, oh, I see why, you know, they mentioned someone's child or, oh, I see why, you know, they say that, you know, Joe Biden, blah, 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 or, you know, Hillary Clinton, blah, blah, blah. And that is demonstrably false. They don't even give you the chance to do that. So it's a decision on their part not to run the ad. It's a decision on their part to deprive multiple, possibly millions of viewers the opportunity to learn information from President Trump that might help him be reelected. We need some regulation here. So Stahl said, quote, as you know, conservatives think you discriminate against them. And Wojcicki, I'm totally butchering her name. It's W-O-J-C-I-C-K-I. Wojcicki? I'll, let's call it Wojcicki, replied, well, first of all, there are lots of very successful conservative creators on YouTube. Our systems, our algorithms, they don't have any concept of understanding what's a Democrat, what's a Republican. They don't have any concept of political bias built into them in any way. We do hear criticism from all sides. We also have people who come from more liberal backgrounds who complain about discrimination. So I think that no matter who you are, we are trying to enforce our policies in a consistent way for everybody. Now, the archive does detail how many days the ad ran on the platform before it was taken down, approximately how much Google was paid, and how many impressions it received. Typically, ads ran a few days before being yanked, suggesting they reached the target audience before removal. You can find this story at listen.stacyontheright.com. So, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's depressing. It is kind of depressing, but as Christians, we know that we can pray and God hears and answers our prayers. And we have to pray that, um, first of all, that truth and justice would ring out, that we would have more accountability for Google and, and for YouTube and Facebook, all these social media giants, and that Congress would step up and do its job and actually regulate these, these companies. Um, they have to do it. All right. So pivoting over to this last story for today's show, you got abortions in the United States hitting an all time low and more babies being saved from abortion than ever. Here's where I want to just one more time, give a shout out to Bridget Van Means of Thrive and the entire Thrive family here in St. Louis for reaching over 10 years, over 36,000 babies saved, which is actually the population of uh, one of our biggest suburbs, Chesterfield. That is amazing. That is a whole, that's more than a town's worth of people. Only 22,000 people live in Ferguson. So that's more than the population of Ferguson that is on this earth walking around because of God's grace and the work being done by Bridget and the people at Thrive. Donors and people who've helped the cause, everybody deserves kudos and glory to God, first of all. And I just want to say, if, if there are other pregnancy resource centers out there who are doing this same good work, and babies are being saved across the country. That can't happen without the prayers of the saints and just people actually saying, enough is enough. 
I'm not going to participate in this anymore. I'm going to stand up and speak out, even if it's in the smallest ways, meaning you just tell people within your circle, we're a pro-life family. We just believe that life begins at conception, which is scientific. And we believe that what God's word says is true about the anointed and the fruit of the womb. And so that's just our position, not trying to fight, not trying, you know, that's just where we are on it. And so that's how we vote. It's just that simple, just that statement. Some people will want to argue with you. Most people will just say, hmm, okay, but that seed goes in and then leave it to God who's going to water it, who's going to, who's going to grow it up. Leave it to him. But you yourself can take a hold of that and own that bit, just what you believe that if you're pro-life, just sharing that with those in your circle to help continue to press forward with this. So uh, this is, these numbers are from the CDC. <laughs> Fantastic news. Link is at listen.stacyontheright.com in the podcast, which will be up shortly after the show. So it's a new Centers for Disease Control report about abortion providing encouraging signs for unborn babies' right to life. Released on Wednesday, the annual abortion report found that abortion numbers reached a historic low in 2016 across the United States. The CDC reported that there were 623,471 abortions in 2016, down from thir- down 13,000 from 2015. The abortion rate, which is comprised of the number of abortions per 1,000 women of childbearing age, also declined from 11.8 in 2015 to 11.6 in 2016, as did the ratio of abortions per 1,000 live births at 186. So the total number of abortions decreased by 24% over the past 10 years. And the CDC also found a, a spot of bad news here that three women died along with their unborn babies after legal abortions in 2015 which is the latest data available on maternal, maternal abortion deaths, so three women. About 91% of abortions occurred within the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. 1.2% occurred after 21 weeks, which is the almost viability at this point, and that's thanks to modern medical advances. And although 1.2% may seem small, it represents thousands of pain-capable, late-term unborn babies' abortion deaths. Um, so the Washington examiner drilled down into the CDC report and found that 59% of women who had abortions had given birth before nearly 43.1% had had an abortion before. Um, and the CDC data revealed other trends and patterns about pregnancy termination. Women in their twenties accounted for the largest percent of abortions at 58.5%. Teens had the smallest percentage at 0.3%. Black women accounted for 38% of the abortions. White women accounted for 35%. And racial data was only able to be collected from 32 states. So those numbers would obviously need to be updated with data from all 50 states. So overall, the information is encouraging. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking for more. I'm looking for us to do more. These are the national numbers, but we went on abortion at the local level. And it's a woman by woman opportunity when we engage women who are abortion minded and help them regardless of what they actually end up doing and take care of them on the heart to heart level we win and winning means babies born women's lives changed and more women who are given the opportunity to learn a a different kind of, of lifestyle a way of living 
um, that doesn't include abortion. So it, you know, we're, I just, it's fantastic news. Um, so I want to say thanks to everybody, especially if you've been wondering like, what is going on? It's just such a hectic time. And then I'm having some issues with the the equipment, which I, I know this is getting to be one of those things where you're like, what is going on? I'm with you. What is going on? Uh, I wish my equipment would stop acting like Democrats. Seriously. So we're going to work on it a little bit today. Hopefully I'll be able to catch up with Noah and get some things resolved. But at least we do have this stream going on YouTube. And then, of course, the podcast, which will go up shortly after we end here, which is what I'm about to do now. Oh, one more thing. Quick book review. So I haven't done one of these in a while. And I just finished this book uh, a couple weeks ago. It is Seven Women by Eric Metaxas, The Secrets, Seven Women and the Secrets of Their Greatness. And Joan of Arc, Susanna Wesley, Hannah Moore, Maria Skobskova, Corey Ten Boom, Rosa Parks, and Mother Teresa, world-changing figures. A friend of mine recommended the book to me and said, read the introduction, which is simply glorious. If She said, if you don't read anything else, read the introduction. And she knows, for me, I have so many books that I'm trying to get through. It's like, it's a, a battle. But I want to read you this teensy little bit before as we close out the show here. So he talks about when he said, I'm going to write a book about seven women, because this book came on the heels of him writing a book about seven men. And he said people were wanting him to write a book about the seven women where they were making suggestions for women who were comparable to the men that he covered. And he said, what struck me as wrong, and this is Eric Metaxas, about these suggestions was that they presume women should somehow be compared to men. But it seemed wrong to view great women in that way. The great men and seven men were not measured against women. So why should the women and seven women be measured against men? I wondered what was behind this way of seeing things that women should be defined against men or that men and women should even be compared to each other Two interrelated attitudes seem to be at play. First men and women are in some ways interchangeable. So what one does the other should do. And second women are in some kind of competition with men and for women to progress, they need to compete with men. This thinking pretends to put men and women on equal footing, but it actually only pits them against each other in a kind of zero-sum competition in which they usually tear each other down. When I consider the seven women I chose, I see that most of them were great for reasons that derive precisely from their being women, not in spite of it. And what made them great has nothing to do with their being measured against or competing with men. In other words, their accomplishments are not gender neutral, but are rooted in their singularity as women. All of them existed and thrived as women and stand quite apart from anything touching the kind of thinking I encountered. This book is fantastic. Hint, one of the chapters had me bawling like my life was completely over. You would want to read it. Um, and to just for anybody who says, wow, I have a lot on my plate. How dare you? This book is about 190 pages long. You could definitely do it. I recommend it. Can't recommend it highly enough loved it. My friend who gave it to me, I actually, she actually let me keep the copy that she let me borrow. And then she gave me a second one because she has more than one copy because she's been giving them out. That's how good they are. So I recommend it to you. All right. I have to say, it's always a pleasure to be with you. I love my time behind the mic and uh, we are going to be back tomorrow with actually we'll be doing live set TV tomorrow. If my schedule here is correct, if I'm remembering that correctly. 
And I'll be live streaming again. Hopefully everything will be working fantastically. All right. Thanks so much for being with us today. Stacey Washington, StaceyOnTheRight.com. Have a fantastic night.